Hi there, everyone. I'm Jared. And I'm Zanita. We are your hosts of Record Live, a podcast where we talk about church, faith, and living well. We believe as followers of Jesus, faith is more than just a set of beliefs. It's a way of life, something we put into practice. Let's go live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Record Live. And we're excited to be here because we have an awesome conversation lined up. Jared, welcome. It looks like you're in a new space. A very well-organized library is behind you. <laughs> it is, Zanita. I'm at home today working from home. And I did spend a bit of time putting my books in author order, alphabetical order. I don't know why. But it was just something that I felt needed to be done. Awesome. Yeah, we are continuing with our mini series on pastors and mental health. Last week we had Dr. Brendan Pratt. And this week we have the one and only Faye Stothers. Faye is the associate pastor at Lilydale in Melbourne. And she was actually the first female pastor in the Medicine Day Conference, which is really cool. So welcome, Faye. It's good to have you on. Hi, Sanita. <laughs> Hi, Jared. How are you this morning? We are good. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, Faye, just to kick us off, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey, how you got into pastoring and what you're doing now. Okay. So when I was a little girl, I went to see a graduation and I told my mother that I wanted to graduate with those dudes over there and they were the theology mm-hmm. students. Um, and it, she goes, oh, oh, that's not possible <laughs> back then. And so it was kind of sat dormant for a long time. And so I did nursing and then I became a businesswoman and a music teacher and an examiner and all those things. And then uh, it kept at me and finally I went to college in my 30s and did theology and ministry and then was quite a nerve-wracking four years actually. Back then they didn't have the graduate program so I went straight in and then uh, when I graduated we were all holding our breath. There was two of us. There was a grad dip came through I think after I'd started and so there were two girls we picked up and we were all chewing our nails. And, um, yeah, I got picked up by Greater Sydney Conference, Fox Valley, came to the party and interviewed and said, yep, we'll take her. And so I was called straight out of college to Fox Valley and uh, did my internship under Goth Bainbridge. <laughs> that fabulous South African. Yeah. <laughs> Very and so cool. Part of- the building of Fox Valley Church happened while I was there and so I got part of the so the colour schemes and all those kinds of things I got my teeth into and it was a great uh, I think the philosophy was to do everything we do whether we're playing volleyball or whatever we're doing eating it's all in the space that God created so it was a great great project and I was part of that yeah cool and then oh sorry after that had had a couple of years off because I had my mother was um, dying of cancer, came back to Victoria because I still had all my family down here and then eventually went into chaplaincy at Heritage College and was there for 10 years and then over to um, Tallis Hill with Gilson for a little bit and then Lilydale. So I've been down here so about 16 years, I think, now. Now, as Zanita mentioned, Faye, we spoke to Brendan Pratt last week and he told us a little bit about some of the things that the union and, and the church is putting in place to help with the mental health of pastors because we we understand that there's quite a um, not necessarily worse or different 
to what everyone else is carrying in terms of some of those burdens, some of those issues. But there are some different expectations placed on pastors that we talked about last week and some different burdens that they carry. Can you give us just from your perspective what you've seen working in ministry in terms of some of the mental health impacts that that can have on people? Well, I think that because um, our spirituality is so close to heart, we're so um, passionate about our faith, often pastors are expected to kind of be somewhere in the perfection range. And if we do have any failures whatsoever, people feel like they've been failed. And, I mean, it's really easy for for a congregation to fall in love with their leader rather than with Jesus Christ. And we have to be really careful that we aren't, the focus of their faith. It has to be Jesus and any other person, any human on the planet, whether it's pastor or elder or whatever, is at some point going to be a failure. Um, mm. And pastors have to be super careful not to become that focal point. We shouldn't run a church based on our personality or anything else. I mean, when I started pastoring and I planted a church, I said, don't follow me, I'm stupid, follow Jesus. And so they made me a car sticker. So I had a big stick across the back of my RAV4 that said, don't follow me, I'm stupid. It was so real because we can fall into that trap. And that's, for our mental health, that's just terrible to have that kind of weight on you because none of us can be 24-7 perfect. We all have bad days. We all get sick sometimes. And it might even be the way we look at someone. You know, we might have huge indigestion or be constipated and someone will think we don't love them in the congregation. (laughs) And it's not true. But, you know, we shouldn't be the point of their faith or the strength of their faith. That's a problem. Mm. So it's huge. I'm wondering with all those expectations of you having to be perfect or people looking up to you, how have you responded to that or dealt with that? Aside from shoving a sticker on the back, are there certain things that you've done throughout ministry that have helped you in your own mental state? I think the thing for me is people go ahead because when I was planting a church, I was full-time chaplain and, and I was doing 80 hours a week and people going, oh, you're incredible. And, you know, I know because of going through college, Josh was in prep when I started college. So I had two little kids and I was up there by myself. And I know that to take a full load, I did an overload of six subjects a semester because I wanted to have counselling under my belt as well in case I didn't get picked up. So to do an overload like that and to carry out that and do all your expectations and earn a little bit of money to get you through college as well was just by the Holy Spirit. So my big thing is I cannot do any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit, without a really live spiritual life. So I guess I've always been vulnerable to people and say I'm nothing without him. I'm not even, I don't even like public speaking, which is the stupidest thing for a pastor. I can't eat before I preach still after all these years. And I know everything I do is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've made that very real to my congregation and I I kind of show my vulnerabilities because there's many of them. And I think that helps them understand that I can't be anything without him in my life. And then I, I think they realise a little bit more that there's no praise in here for faced others it's it's all about what what the holy spirit does through me yeah that's a good point i think because a lot of pastors have that expectation that they're supposed to be perfect they don't then open up or they're not vulnerable like you're saying about what's going on and stuff talk is really important 
I, because, you know, we always, I have this great big diary and I write everything down. I have an electronic one too, but I'm kind of the therapeutic cross things off as good for me as well. So I have this big diary and I put lots of expectations on my day, but my self-talk is I only have enough time in my day to do what God wants me to do. And when I put my head down on the pillar at night, I might have things going around there, but I forgive myself what I haven't done because he will bring up what I need to do and that's it. And I've learned to forgive myself because otherwise you can for forever be punishing yourself for what you don't get done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when you deal with people, we don't get instant results all the time and it can be very unforgiving sometimes. So you've Mm -hmm. just got to be more in tune with what the Holy Spirit wants of you than what anyone else does. Faith, I really like what you said about forgiving yourself because unforgiveness of yourself is sometimes we look at other people to forgive and we're told to as Christians, but when we can't forgive ourselves, sometimes that's the the biggest mental hang-up that can lead to a host of issues because sometimes we're most critical on ourselves. We give other people a pass or we understand what they're going through and, and we can be very critical. So that's a really important, I just want to pause on that. We We need to be wrestling with that question as Christians, I think. Forgive others as you would have been forgiven. That's the call that we have. You're absolutely right, Jared. And and I think, look, it's been a learning thing for me. It wasn't always easy. Coming out of college with great expectations and being a woman, I thought I had to work double as hard to get the recognition because of the voices in my head saying, what are you doing here? Girls aren't supposed to be ministers. And I heard that so often. It wasn't funny. I felt like I had to work doubly hard to prove myself and to be twice as good as all the guys to get recognition. And so this has been a learning curve for me that my call didn't come from me. My call came from God. And then I had to be in a space with him that I didn't judge myself too harshly because the church was going to be judgy enough and it is you know you guys writing the record you would through your articles and some of the stuff you've put out there but because we're so passionate about spirituality we cop a lot of flack i like to wear makeup and i like to have crazy hair and people will will push back at you and say you're supposed to be something that you're not i don't look anything like alan white you know (laughs) and i i (laughs) i and and you cop that you know i like to Look a certain way. And I can talk to people that other people can't because of who I am, the favour that God put on my life. I have uh, doors open that no one else does. People will judge you. We, we live in a, in a church that suffers with their own journey on a regular basis. They constantly judge themselves. You know, we struggle with grace. <laughs> And so we'll say, yes, we live in grace, but we'll beat up on our pastors. Mm-hmm. We'll beat up on the leader of the church because they haven't shown me exactly what I want to see in a leader. And and I think we have to just let ourselves just sit in the presence of God, be wrapped in the Father's arms and forgive ourselves for the, the shortcomings because, gosh, they are so, so many. No matter what career we're in, whether a teacher or a pastor or as you guys are in the media, Whatever we do, we have to forgive ourselves because we can't be perfect and no one can. And mm-hmm. I think we've all got to learn to forgive each other and learn to forgive our leaders because, gosh, it's so hard to be on a pedestal. 
They mm-hmm. rock, they wobble, and we fall off regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have grace on yourself and have grace on others, I think. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned that you felt called to ministry or compelled to ministry as like a young girl, quite a young age, and then you went down various different avenues and then when you studied theology, you also studied counselling because you weren't sure if you were going to get in. What was it like to feel like called to something like ministry but yet have had so much resistance from other people? Like how was that and how did you push through those kind of barriers? Well, um it was interesting because I, I spent a lot of time in prayer because when you give up, I had a really successful business and I, I bought myself a red Mercedes from my business. I, I was quite, mm-hmm. It was doing quite well. Norm Young, as one of my lecturers said, the rotten students have got better cars than we have, but it was a big joke around campus. But I was doing quite well out there. So it was a big decision to stop all of that and to go to college And so I spent a lot, a lot of time in prayer before I went to change my whole life, to take my children away, to move because you couldn't study by distance back then. So I had to actually physically go to to college. I had to leave my husband and family and and do that. So it was a big decision, lots of time in prayer. Um, I think the the first time I showed up and, you know, what are you doing here, girls aren't called, but the call was so so strong and I have to say this to if any guys are listening that have thought to themselves women aren't called to this when you I've never been a guy so I can't tell you what their call's like but my call was so strong I could not put it down it just kept at me and at me and at me that um you know my dreams were standing before people you know I'd been an entertainer in you know I'd spent a little bit of time outside the church and been an entertainer I knew what it's like to be out in front of people but to speak in front of people was just horrifying to me. But my dreams had me in front of people speaking and um, God just kept at me and at me and at me until I finally conceded. And then, look, the journey was really tough. We sat in the, um, God, I did my think the E at Zan, and we were sitting around the big table there and I go, so what's it been like? And for the first time in four years I burst into tears and just said, it's been so hard because you just don't know if all of this is going to be worth it, if you're going to be allowed by men. I knew God would always open up to ministry, but I didn't know if the church was ready for me, you know. So and I said, it was really, really hard. It was really tough. And then you kind of wait. It's always nerve-wracking for everybody to wait to be called. And, uh, look, I think God's been great in giving me a tough skin because I've heard, what are you doing here? Didn't you read Paul? You're not supposed to be here and all that kind of stuff so many times. But God has been so faithful to me and we've had, I've had miracles happen in my life so many times to prove that this is where I'm supposed to be, that I can't deny it. It's one of those undeniables that, once again, can't rely on man, got to rely on what God says. So, And he's never said you're not good enough, which is amazing because I don't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. We know we know that verse, Faye, that says um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's crazy to me that we would sort of limit people that want to work and are called to work. And Brendan shared with us last week that I think he said there's a huge sort of loss in terms of pastors starting and and not completing or not not. Um, pastoring for more than a few years we're losing pastors left right and center and that's part of the burden and the crushing weight of expectations that people place on them 
Um, you've reflected a little bit on the extra burdens that perhaps a female minister might bear, not just the carrying the load of a pastor, but also some of the resistance and hostility there. Do you think that to flip that a little bit and, and to look at some of the positive side, what can a female pastor bring that helps in this mental health space? Not to stereotype necessarily, but is there in your experience where you've seen like women are called to specifically bring something that us guys can't bring to the ministry? Absolutely, Jared. Well, starting in Sydney Conference and it didn't take long for the guys to figure out that I could I could deal with a rape case that they couldn't. I could go through all the whole process with the lady and be with her, touch and hold her after she'd been violated. So I could do things like that. I can hold children um, where a man would be suspiciously looked at if he did the same things that I did so I can embrace and hold and, and gather. I think our eye is different as far as what we see in things in situations as well. I noticed when I was studying, my essays were marked totally differently because I had a different view of some things than what the guys did. We spot injustice and we spot we're compassionate of nature. Look, God has gifted both genders with incredible perspectives, but I think women have different ones that pick up on some of the more sensitive issues of injustice and hurting people's feelings. So I think sometimes we can come alongside and understand you know, men are strong. Women know what it's like to feel overpowered. We know what it's like to feel a bit frightened, to not be able to defend yourself in so many ways. So I think we can come alongside and, and bring some of those to the fore. We understand from being mothers some of the perspectives of the emotional side of that, of what it's like to lose a child, what it's like to nurture a child, or carry, have stillbirth. There's things that we can we can bring to ministry that guys perhaps can't and shouldn't in some ways. I think there's things that we should minister that, that you shouldn't minister to and vice versa, there's things that you should minister to that we shouldn't as well. But um, mm. I think God made us in a way that the two halves of the genders somehow make the beautiful whole with, with his beautiful qualities and if we take half away, we've lost half of our capacity to minister holistically to our congregations and I think if we can get past the biases that it looks like Paul is speaking to a situation rather than women everywhere for all time and get past that and realise that God has created men and women form equally um, his beautiful qualities to minister to our people and get over that we'll somehow get a much better ministry coverage. We were talking last week to Brendan about how often a the congregation expects the pastor to be everything and to have every spiritual gift and to be strong and nurturing and compassionate and confrontational and all of these things, which is kind of what you're saying. But, yeah, it is interesting. Like some males will have strengths in some areas, females will have strengths in others, and often we don't have a male and a female pastor in our church. You often only have one pastor, and so you kind of get one side or the other a bit more. What have you done when you've found certain things are outside your natural ability or your capability? Have you had other males supporting you in your role or have you had like a partner supporting you or what's your journey been like there? Um, when I planted a church, it was kind of all me. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit really helped in areas to strengthen areas that I didn't have a natural thing toward. But, look, I think after looking at, at good leadership models, you need to try not um, build leadership with people like you because that's the worst thing you can do. So you need to have elders around you that fill the gaps in your own ministry. And I love the idea of spiritual gift-based ministries. We love nominated committees, but I, I think that square pegs in round holes kind of stuff. I think we really need to look at people's giftedness and in, encourage and train and build people up. Discipleship, we're weak in that area as a church. Build people up if they've got a natural um, tendency to certain areas of ministry. To, you really uphold that and bring into in the form of our elders and other leaders in the church, not be afraid of not having people that are all like us around us. Have different people that challenge you, sometimes even annoy you because iron sharpens iron. And I think pastors need better leadership skills in lots of ways that to be okay with saying, you know what, I'm rubbish at pastoral visitation. I'm going to try and equip or send some elders off to learn how to do that really, really well and let mm -hmm. the church rather than the pastor having to do it be okay with having a priesthood who believers where the pastor is responsible for ensuring people are trained and, and lifted up and equipped rather than having to do everything themselves. I think we've just got to sit back and let's get educated about this. The church isn't run entirely by the pastor. We're there as a coach. We're there as a coach to try and encourage a whole church to get on board. People who are sitting there expecting someone else to do all the ministry are doing two horrible things. They're not holistically looking at what being saved is about because as soon as you're saved, you're equipped. The Holy Spirit comes inside to fill you and change you and give you the fruits of the Spirit, and then right alongside that you're given the gifts of the Spirit to serve. If you're not serving in your church and you're sitting there being entertained, <laughs> you're not fulfilling the Great Commission or the call upon your life, and you're, really, you're cheating your church. And so let your pastor be a coach rather than everything to you. Find out what you're supposed to do. Get off that beautiful little bottom of yours and do something <laughs> is what I say. And then you won't have the big holes in ministry that you sh that a lot of churches constantly do have. I love it. Very practical. If you could do one thing, Faye, to support or to change the system so that the mental health of pastors was helped assisted prioritized maybe it's something that we're doing already but it's not fully realized yet maybe it's a new sort of thing what what would that one focus be for you how, how do you think from a pastor's perspective yourself we can be doing a better job of supporting the mental health of our pastors well stop judging them for a start that's a really good thing that the congregations can do but as far as leadership goes look and i I look like I've got it all together. Look, this has been a huge journey. I've been I've been bullied and ended up being on antidepressant drugs and all kinds of stuff as part of the journey where as somebody didn't think a woman should be a minister and bullied me out of a role that I loved and was passionate about. So I haven't always had it together. So let me say that and be really frank about that is that I'm sitting here after being through a lot of stuff but some of the things we can do as pastors for each other as well is to be more supportive of one another and more forgiving. Like I think it's become very competitive. The churches are competitive. 
churches aren't supposed to be competitive with one another. And pastors, in doing that, the sheep stealing kind of thing, we get really competitive and it's more about, more about who's a better preacher, I'm going to go and listen to that, who's a better pastor or carer. Um, mm-hmm. If we could sit together as pastors and, and share really open-heartedly, like presently one of the healthiest things that we have at Lilydale is my senior pastor is Darren Croft and our intern is Rahel Gungadu. And we, we embrace the chaplains at um, Edinburgh College to come down and spend time with us. But we're really blunt and we pray together desperately every week. And we're, mm-hmm. we don't judge each other. We applaud each other's sermons. We share resources with each other. I think that's what has made me so healthy now is because I've had a bunch of pastors that team together and really listen to each other and we really like each other and we defend each other. There is no way I would let any congregation member speak badly about Darren. You know, I guard his back and he guards mine and we have full confidence in each other. We've chosen this. We've chosen the journey of really looking out and being accountable to each other. We tell each other, I don't go and do anything behind his back in ever. And he doesn't care, but he trusts me implicitly because of that. So if we can call it, if we can create those kinds of healthy relationships between pastors, that would be great. But it takes mm-hmm. it takes, you have to be intentional. And I think pastors probably one of the kindest things you can do for each for yourself is to get not quite a mentor, but a, a person that comes alongside you that you share everything with. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah. That takes that you, you're not ashamed to, to say what's going on in your marriage so that they can pray for that and it's a safe space to do all of that because we're almost encouraged to disregard our family relationships to be at the church 24-7. That's what we see as success and that has to stop. I'm really glad, like I watch my son, who I'm extremely proud of, say no and guard his family time because that makes me proud. That's something I was too scared to do. You know, I felt like I had to prove myself. So we've got to stop all those expectations and pastors gather gather together and really become each other's champions, I suppose, cheer each other on. You know, I I know pastors that won't listen to anyone else preach. Isn't that so sad? I'm all for doing this as a team and not having people on pedestal. So what I'm hearing is have a safe space where you can talk about things cheer each other on instead of competing and also have boundaries like with your family and what's important to you. Yeah, like I think every pastor should have an accountability partner. I think every Mm. Christian should. Yeah. Every Christian should have um, a same gender accountability partner that they will talk about. You know, if you're doing something that's a little bit weird, that person will say, why are you doing that? What's going on with you that you've got to do that? You know, have Mm. you talked to God about that decision to do that? It pulls you up. Someone that you know loves you, that you let speak into your life. And look, if I haven't, if I hadn't had that all these years, I probably would have been a psychiatric ward by now, mm. to be honest. Because my reactions and the things that I respond to have been questioned. Are you doing that out of? Um, are you angry at God? Are you just angry at that person? And and they've had the courage to sort of say to me, you know. You're behaving a little bit like a sport right there. Mm. And they love me enough for me to know that they're trying to do it for my best good, not to hurt me. 
Faye, I've loved hearing some of your stories this morning. I really appreciate you jumping on. I know we had some issues getting here, but we're here now and it's been a really great conversation. Unfortunately, our time is up, um, but you know we've covered some really important topics today. Is there anything you'd like to add before we, before we finish? No, you guys are doing a great job there. And I think you know, the mental health of everybody, particularly after COVID, it's been really, really an issue of how we change things up. But I, I guess I want to speak to congregations more than anything else. You are a priesthood of believers. Every single one of us is called to the same calling, that if we want to get out of here and go into the next phase of life outside of where we live right now into you know the glory that is intended for us for the future, get off that sweet little bottom and do something and don't sit back just expecting everything to be delivered to your lap. That's not the way things are. And you're missing out on seeing the Holy Spirit move in your life and through your life. And you're giving yourself a great injustice by not being activated into the ministry of the church and the gospel. So get into it and let the Holy Spirit just reveal himself and show how powerful and amazing he really is. If you let him work through you. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Faye. It has been great to have you on today. All the best as you continue doing what you're doing. We have another episode next week continuing on this mini-series of pastors and mental health. We have two more guests for this series, so yeah, jump on next week. We'll see you there. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Faye. And see thank you. Soon, see you all. This is an Adventist Media Podcast.